My name is John Colburn. I'm the minister of Congregational Life and Outreach here at Grace, and it's just such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you tonight. If you're new here, uh, something worth knowing is that we've been going through the book of Genesis. We've been talking through Genesis 1 and 2 over the past few weeks, looking at, as BK said earlier, God's creation, his power in creation, his work in creation, and what he's accomplished for us and shown us about who he is as he has created the world. This week, we're actually taking a short detour. We're sticking with the theme of creation, but we're stepping over to the book of Jeremiah. Something that Joel has promised time and time again in his sermons over the past few weeks is that the Bible will pick up on these themes of God as creator all the way through its pages. And when it picks up on it, it wants to do practical and tangible things in teaching people how to live and how to receive the Lord. So we're going to drop into the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, and we're going to see a little bit about how Jeremiah picks up on these themes that we've been talking about lately. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in. You'll see in your worship guide a few, a few verses there. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter, so you'll have to stick with me a little bit. Um, but you have a few verses included in your worship guide. It was a little too much uh, to include at all there. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, you're welcome to. Joel's made some jokes recently about reading everything that the Bible says about something, and I'm actually going to try a little bit right here, so stick with me. From the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33. Listen closely, for this is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it, to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of the city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans, and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse from them all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say it is a waste without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thanks offerings to the house of the Lord. They will say, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as it says at first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
In this place that is waste, without man or beast, and in all of its cities there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. In the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, in the cities of the Negeb, in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem, in the cities of Jer- Judah itself, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts him, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings and burn grain offerings and to make sacrifices forever. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, Then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people are saying... The Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose. Thus they have despised my people, so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, If I have not established my covenant with the day and night and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David. My servant will choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and we'll have mercy on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for sticking with me. For my honeymoon a few years ago, more years ago than I realized, um, April and I went to San Francisco. Um, It's a city that I, I really love, and if you ever get the chance to go to San Francisco, there's a bunch of different neighborhoods in the city, but there are also some geographical markers. And one of the big ones is that there was a huge earthquake in 1906. It tore the city apart. It burned many buildings. They, they were worried about the fire beginning to spread, but all the water pipes had broken and shattered, and they couldn't pump water into the city to fight the fires. So they decided to try to blow up a few of the buildings around the fire to try to stop it with dynamite. And the buildings exploded and, of course, unfortunately, made the fire even worse, and it spread throughout the city. Thousands of lives were lost, and it was a great tragedy. And I was riding around on an electrical bike, listening to a guy telling me this over my earpiece. Uh, we were like going up this, if you've ever been in San Francisco, the other thing you'll know is there are huge hills. So I'm like kind of gliding up this hill on my electrical bike, passing someone who's riding faithfully up this giant hill on their bike. And I'm like listening to the tour guide and kind of look over and see this exhausted face <laughs> beside me with sheer frustration that I'm like flying up this hill. But I remember that moment. And I remember thinking, I wonder what that would be like. I wonder what that would be like. And so I'm going to try to bring it a little bit more local. 
Imagine that kind of catastrophe right here. Imagine the burning cinders of Regions Field. Imagine Sloss Furnace being knocked to the ground. Imagine coming over the crest by the Vulcan and seeing smoke and fire. Imagine the, the playground at Patriot Park tumbling to the ground. Imagine walking past Hall Kent and seeing but a crater. These were people's real lives. They were memories. They were places where they were married. They were places where they grew up. People loved San Francisco, and it was lost. I tell you all that because I'm trying to capture a bit of what the Israelites were thinking. Let me set a little context for what's going on in this passage. The book of Jeremiah is by a prophet named Jeremiah. There you go. That's what you go to seminary for. And he was a prophet during the the second period of exile. So the northern kingdom had been taken off by Assyria, and it had fallen, and the southern kingdom, the capital of Judah, again, hundreds of years later, now another invading army is right on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And the army is strong and more powerful, and there's just a matter of time until the city falls. So you have Jerusalem's people looking out at this invading army. You have a king named Zedekiah, who's a fake king. He's been put in place by the ruler of Babylon. The true Davidic king has been taken off into exile. And they can see, literally, in the faces of the soldiers on the other side of the wall, their city ready to burn. So think about what we would feel watching Birmingham burn. And realize that's just our home. This is the city where God has promised to dwell. This is the city where God has placed his temple. This is the city that Moses made all these promises about, that God had made all these promises to David about. Was it all about to go up literally in smoke? And in that, that moment, Jeremiah begins to speak. And he says, against all these loud-spoken prophets that say, don't worry, Nothing will go wrong. Jeremiah begins to say something very uh, unpopular. He says, those armies are here because of what we have done. The Lord has brought something upon us. But, and he cries out, even though none will hear him, I want to offer you a great hope. And in the chapters 29, 30, 31, 32, and 33, one of the most beautiful passages in all the prophets to me, Jeremiah begins to cry out and tell the story, consoling the people of Israel to know that the Lord is not done with them yet. The Lord is not done with them yet. Remember where I started in chapter 33. It says, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. In chapter 31, and some of you may be familiar with the famous passage about the new covenant, But just following up on that, it begins to extol the Lord's glory because he created the sun and he created the stars. Jeremiah's been playing on God the creator for chapters now in trying to bring his people hope. In chapter 32, the Lord calls Jeremiah to buy a field. He says, go out and buy a field. Not because I'm going to deliver Jerusalem from this invading army, but because I'm going to bring you back. I want you to illustrate for my people Jerusalem that I am not done here. So go sell all your things and buy a field, knowing that you will never get to plant in it. 
And Jeremiah does. And then he says these things, thus said the Lord who made the earth. Let me give you a short little aside about understanding things in the prophets in the Old Testament. I know Joel did a little bit about this just Wednesday. One of the things that's hard about reading the Old Testament is you are not always Israel. It's really tempting to read yourself into Israel's place every time you're reading the Old Testament. You are not always Israel. And we'll talk a little bit about how that plays out in this passage. But what is important to remember is Israel's God really is yours. The thing that the God of Israel does for Israel is the God that you worship, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So whereas some of the promises the Lord has made to the nation of Israel might be a little different than the promises he has made to us, the character of the God of Israel is the character of the God we worship. It is our God. So the Lord begins to say, I know your fear of Jerusalem. He begins to talk about even the, the, the buildings that have been torn down to make battlements, the great halls of kings that have been leveled to create barriers to the, the enemy's entry. And he says, and it, he's like building up, and he begins to talk about all of his wrath that he's going to pour out on the evildoers. And right when you think the hammer's about to drop, in verse 6, he says, behold, and you're ready to hear, behold, you will see the wrath and vengeance of your God. He says, behold, I will bring it to health and healing. And I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of prosperity and security. When we look at the creation story, we see the Lord creating good things. And something that we will see throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament is God continues to create. The Lord makes good things. The Lord brings life and healing. Even where there is death and brokenness, the Lord is at work to create and bring about a livening, a goodness to the things that are wrong. We even see that at the end of chapter two, the Lord says, and it was not good that man should be alone, and he immediately creates. He brings good to the things that were not. And he does it time and time again. I think this passage in, in verses 10 to 13 is so beautiful. I won't read it all again, but this idea that in this desolate place, without man or inhabitant or beast, picturing like post-apocalyptic, empty city with what do they call them in the cowboy stories? A tumbleweed rolling and bouncing down the street. An emptiness, a whistling of the breeze. You can hear the emptiness of the city, but the Lord says, if you'll listen closely, and if you'll listen long enough, you won't just hear an empty breeze in my city of Jerusalem. You will hear the voices of laughter. You will hear the delight of a bride and a groom you will hear those things that you've been longing for. You will hear the voices of those who sing. Listen long and listen close. And if the Lord is who he says he is, you will hear songs of Jerusalem return again. In verses 14 to 18, Jeremiah begins to recap some of the things that the Lord has promised to Israel. 
He's promised them a line of kings. He's promised them a temple in which he will dwell. And he says, do not fear that if the Babylonians come raising over those walls, if the temple goes up in smoke, if, and this is hard, but if, this is what the Babylonians did, if you are let out in chains attached to your nose, they would put this big, long chain, and they would attach people by a nose ring to the chain, and they would pull the chain, and you would all have to walk at the speed at which they pulled the chain. It's graphic. It's horrifying. It's scary. And what Jeremiah is saying is, even if that happens to you, I want you to know that the promises I have made to David, the promises I have made to Moses, the promises I have made to you are not broken. They're not broken. I meant all that I have said. And then at the end, you have this beautiful passage, 19 to 26. And we see this element of the Lord saying, do you really need something to see? Do you really need a reason that you can trust me? He says, I know if you trust your eyes, you'll see a fallen wall, you'll see an empty city, but he says, there's one other thing you'll see. He says, if you will look east tomorrow morning, you will see the sun come up. If you look east tomorrow morning, you will see the sun come up. And you will know that I am the God that made the sun and then I am the God that made the stars. I'm not just the God of Jerusalem, just the God of David, just the God of Jacob, just the God of Isaac. I am the God of all things. And if I am faithful to my first creations, the sun, the moon, the land, the stars, how much more do you think I will be faithful to you? If you are the shining greatest thing that the Lord has made, his people. And if we can trust him to put the sun in its place every single day, he's saying, you should not doubt that I will bring about what I have promised to David and to Jerusalem. Don't worry if those soldiers come over those walls. My promises are not void. You can know because if you look east, the sun will come up. I have loved this passage. And one of the reasons I love this passage is how much I need it to be true. How much I need it to be true. That when the sun rises, that that says to me that even the promises that I seem to have visual, physical evidence are breaking in front of my eyes, that because the sun comes up, I can trust in him. I feel all too much like Jeremiah is speaking to me and saying, you may have reason to doubt, but if you will look east tomorrow morning, you will see I have not broken my covenant with the sun and the stars, and therefore I have not broken my promise with you. So a few things that I would want you guys to hear, some ways I would want to bring this to your heart. One thing we've learned about this God, this God in particular, is that he has staked his very glory on bringing life, on making things good, and on keeping his promises. That is who our God is. As Joel talked about, there are so many creation myths of God who accident, gods who accidentally create the world through violence, through their own conflict, and it just kind of happens. We are a happenstance or a mistake. 
This is a God who staked his own name and his own glory on making life and bringing about good things. And even here in Jeremiah, when the Lord's people are on the edge of the knife, what they are supposed to remember is, don't you know that the Lord made things and said it was good? He will make things again. So one, he brings life. Two, I want you to hear that laughter really will ring out in the places you are afraid that he has abandoned. It's been said that there is not one thing in all of creation that the Lord Jesus does not look at and call his own and say, mine. And if that's true, if there's no inch on this earth that Jesus has not claimed, and if he's gonna bring about the making of all things new and right, then there is no place so broken or so abandoned that his life and his goodness will not flow again. The pastor here at Second Presbyterian, his name is Steve Jones, and he's become a good friend of mine. He's a great man. And one of the things he's told me in a few of my meetings with him in his office is how much joy their members take from the fact that children are running through these halls again. That people are getting engaged in this room. That people are getting married in this room. They saw their kids married in this room. They saw their kids grow up. They saw their kids come down the aisle when they were graduating high school. There's life in a place that they could see falling apart. And it's given them great hope. This is what the Lord does. This is who the Lord is. So for you, in the places where you feel his promises are breaking... I don't know, the constant anxiety, the failing body, the room in your house that's too empty, the graveyard that's too full. Here too, in these places, our laughter and delight will one day echo through the halls. God's people will laugh and rejoice in the land he has promised. Their emptiness does not have to have the last word. What Jeremiah is saying is that the Lord who fills all in all will fill the empty things. He will bring life, he will bring hope, and he will bring love back to these places in our lives just as he will bring it back to the ruins of Jerusalem in his son Jesus Christ. This is just the kind of thing he does. So laughter will ring out. The third thing that I would want your heart to know is that counting on God to be faithful is as boring as counting on the sun to rise. Counting on God to come through on the things he's promised is the most bland bet you can make. There is no safer place. You're not putting it on black or red at the roulette table. No one would think I was bold to say, hey guys, if you look out your window to the east tomorrow, you're gonna see something amazing. You never would have seen it coming. The sun's gonna rise. But me standing here pleading with your hearts, I'm saying the same thing. Hey, if you will look in those places, if you will listen long and you will listen hard, you will hear laughter ring out again because this is what the Lord does. The fourth thing I think I have to say to your hearts is that I'm really sure. I'm really sure. I wouldn't be up here telling it to you 
if I didn't believe it in the depths of my heart? I'm really sure. One of the people that I think knows the relief of being sure, you may have noticed I didn't read it earlier, but one of the things we've been doing in this passage and this series, we've been reading New Testament texts that go along with our Old Testament text. And in Luke chapter two, Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus to the temple, just a young baby, presented him to the temple for service, just as Hannah had Eli decades earlier, um, or had Samuel presented to Eli decades earlier. She gave her son to the Lord. And there were people working in that temple. And starting in verse 33, I'm going to pick it up as, as... Um, They have just been encouraged. Simeon has, has blessed the Lord. And his father, this being Joseph, and his mother, Mary, marveled at what was said about him, Jesus. And Simeon blessed them all and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own heart, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then a person who may be forgotten too often, but shouldn't. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, but then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, Jesus, to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. She'd been waiting. She'd been listening long. She'd been listening hard. And the baby came through the doors. That promise that God had made to David, that God had made to Jerusalem, even as the Babylonians are streaming over the walls, he has come back into his temple again. And that's really all of our hope. That everything Jesus has done for us, everything God has promised for us, has won the day. And we are not even as the the Israelites waiting to see if God will follow through. We know that he has. We know that in Jesus Christ, he has come near, that he has taken on flesh, that he has taken on our sin and shame, that he has borne it on the cross, that he has died and put sin to death in the flesh, and that finally he rose again, putting sin and death beneath his feet forever. And it is because of that, that and the fact that the sun tomorrow will rise, that I can be so sure that we will hear that laughter again. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are a people that needs this to be true. We are a people that feel as if we have bought fields and have watched them fall apart. We are people that feel that we have placed all our bets on you, or worse, that we have placed our bets on the wrong things and that they have come up empty. So we ask you, the God who hung the sun and the moon, to be the God you've promised to be, to be as faithful to us as you've been to them, to deliver us, body and soul, to Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
that we might belong to him and be his forever. We ask all these things by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would cause them to sink into our hearts and cause them to bubble up in joy and rejoicing, no matter the circumstance. For your name's sake, amen.